do, and then also Matthew 28. Acts 2.42 and Matthew 28. And let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you've made us family inside of the body of Christ and not just inside of Rocky Mountain Calvary, but with all believers, Lord, that are gathered throughout the world this morning, gathered in homes, Lord, gathered in so many different places and locations. And God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be welcome here, welcome in our lives, that we could really see what your word has to say about church and Lord, that we could really live in the truth that you have for us. So would you bless this time? Would you give me strength and grace in sharing your word and sharing heart and vision? In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to kind of change the tone a little bit of this morning's service. As if you could picture hanging out at my house, in my family room, if we could get all of us into our family room, that would be great. And I'm kind of sitting on my couch, having a cup of coffee, and sharing my heart with you, you know, like I would share my heart for my family. This is the vision for my family. This is the direction that I'd like to see my family go. This is the vision and the heart that God has put inside of me for our particular church. When I first started senior pastoring here in 2005, I really prayed through and spent time, Lord, what is the direction for this fellowship? And I never wanted it to be my heart, my vision, my ideas, but what does God's word say? What does God's word say for church and what should church be? And, and so that's where these things came from. And I first just wanna take a look at what the church means to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he will build his church and upon this rock he'll build his church. And the rock is Jesus Christ. It's the profession that Christ is the Messiah. And here we are some almost 2,000 years later and Christ continues to build his church. And church history is not very pretty. The church seems to do one thing really well. We think we tend to mess things up. But yet God in his promise continues to bring people to Jesus Christ. He continues to build and make our lives. Jesus died for the church. He died to be able to inherit the church. Sometimes when we come together week after week, we can lose sight of how important the body of Christ is to Jesus. That in order for us to be his body, to be the bride of Christ, he died for us. That's how much it means to the Lord. We can take it flippantly, we can take it for granted, but Christ is very passionate about it. Also, we know that Christ is married to the church, that the church is married to Christ. Sorry, let me put that in other terms. In Ephesians 5, we see that the image that we bear as Christian couples, that Christ is the head of the church and the husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And then wives are to submit to their husbands the way the church responds to Jesus Christ. That's the greatest relationship that could be described and Christ is the bridegroom of the church. In Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. I mean, could you imagine if Jesus personally wrote a letter to Rocky Mountain Calvary and he said, hey, this is how I see and view your church. And you may not be surprised, but the majority of those seven churches had major problems. And Jesus then said that he was in the midst of those churches. And if you find a perfect church, this has been said, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Isn't that absolutely true? If you stay in any church long enough, 
you will be sinned against by other believers. And you will also sin against other believers because we are sinners. I'm a sinner, I'm fallen, I'm gonna let you down. That's the reality of being inside of a church family with other believers. But Christ didn't forsake the church even though it had its flaws. And guess what, that's enough for me. Why am I committed to the church for myself and for my family? Not just Rocky Mountain Calvary, but the body of Christ as a whole is because Jesus promised to build his church, he died for his church, he's the bridegroom of the church, and he's in the midst of the church. And maybe you're kind of struggling a little bit with church in general. Not just our church, but churches throughout the city, churches throughout the world, and kind of your attitude is a little bit like, what's the point? We live in this beautiful state. I can go out into the mountains and I've got my own sanctuary and the trees never sin against me. They never disappoint me and I feel so near and, and to God and this place of solitude. It's because Christ is in the midst of his church and something special happens as we gather together with believers or two or three are gathered, he's in our midst. And so if he's that committed to the church, then our response would go, yeah, Lord, I am committed to your church as well, the body of Christ. So the first thing for us is what's our vision and why is vision important? In Proverbs 29 verse 18, it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. So if we don't have direction, it ultimately leads to to death. In Habakkuk 2 verse 2, it says, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The prophet is to take what God spoke to him and put it down so plain that someone could take it and run with it and people would understand the message. So we've taken this vision and we've broken it down into three very simple things. Be, make, send. Be disciples, make disciples, and send disciples. And it comes right from scripture. And the first is be. I'd like to read to you Matthew 1 verse 17. Jesus' word says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, you follow me. I want you to come after me. I want to be in charge of your life. I want to take over the direction of your life. I'd like to share a little bit of my background and what I grew up with because it really puts this vision into perspective. I grew up in an awesome Christian family. We went to church several times a week. When the church doors were open, we were there. I went to a Christian school. God's word was very present in our home, prayer, those things. But I was very lost inside of the sanctuary of the church, extremely lost. I had no idea what it meant to have a friendship with Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ. And in fact, I even developed a really hard heart towards Jesus Christ. And it was God's grace that melted me and changed me when I realized that he wanted everything to do with me when I didn't wanna have anything to do with him, that he won over my heart and I began to follow him. It's never been our heart as a church just to have church attendees. It's never been our goal to say, how many people can we get into a room? And the more people that we get into the room, the more successful we're being in the kingdom of God. We desire passionate, committed followers of Jesus Christ. I wanna follow Jesus Christ because he's good and he's God and he's got the best plan for my life. And I desire for all of us to know that personal invitation 
that Jesus knows you, he loves you, he died for you, and he wants you to follow him. He wants you to commit to saying, my life has this purpose, I'm not gonna direct it, I'm gonna allow God to direct it. And then notice what happens, the promise is, if we'll put him in charge, if we'll follow him, because he's pursued us with his love, then he's gonna make us, he's gonna transform. The church in and of itself the body of believers can't transform you. It can't transform me. You know who transforms our lives? It's Jesus as we follow him. My life desperately needs the touch of Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to do that and that's his promise is that he will make us to be fishers of men where we care about what he cares about, where our top priority becomes who's in the kingdom of God, be disciples. And very Specifically, I think there's four things that if we put into our lives, it's practically being a disciple. So hopefully you're in Acts 2.42 because we're gonna see these four pillars that are in the life of a disciple. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You may wanna circle or underline the word they. Who is they? It's the church. What does the word church even mean? It's ekklesia in the Greek. It means called out into assembly. We're called out of the world into assembly of believers. We're part of a new identity. We're part of a new group. And this they have been impacted by the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit. If all you hear this morning is, hey, these are the four things that I need in my life to be a disciple, we've missed it. These guys are radically in love with Jesus. They've seen the death of Christ. They've talked to the risen Savior. They've watched him ascend, heard the promise that Jesus is gonna return, and they can't help but now do these things. It's the natural overflow of a life that's been touched by Jesus, but notice they did it steadfastly. There's a little bit of discipline here in this early church to say, hey, we want these four things to be in our lives. And it's easy for a church to go wayward and from one direction to another. So we've taken Acts 2.42 and we've said, we desire these four things to be in our church corporately and also in our lives personally. And the first is the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine is the apostles' teaching that became the New Testament. As you read the New Testament, there's a lot of the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's the Old Testament explained. The Old Testament fulfilled. The apostles' doctrine is the word of God. Maybe you've wondered, you know, why are they so hung up on the Bible here? Why do they, every time I come, I hear these words, open your Bibles, and they're telling me, hey, you're gonna need a Bible and we're gonna study the Bible because God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God is what teaches us about the knowledge of God. It's what changes and transforms our lives. God's promise with his word is it's never going to return void. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, someday myself and the other pastors are gonna have to stand before God and give an account for how we led inside of this church. And that's a sobering thing to stop and think about. And I wanna be able to say to the Lord, God, I gave your people your word. So we study it in totality. 
the whole counsel of God. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, to the elders, I gave you the whole counsel of God. I wasn't negligent. I didn't hold anything back. If the word of God is the word of God, why wouldn't we want to study all of it, right? So Wednesday nights, we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Right now, we're in the Gospel of John. It's a long journey. Sometimes it's tedious, but it's worthwhile because it is the word of God. What I notice in churches is there's a huge temptation upon leaders, pastors, to follow what's ever cool and new. And there's trends that happen in churches every two to three years, where if you're paying attention, you'll find a lot of churches going, this is the new thing. We've got to do it. And so everybody goes over to the new thing and they're super excited. And then over two or three years later, it's like, here's the new thing. And this just keeps happening and it keeps happening. And as a pastor, you're sitting here and you're feeling all this pressure and you're like, maybe we need to do the new thing. And I gotta tell you, I'm not interested in the new thing. I'm interested in the word of God. And it's the word of God that we need in our lives. And I'm seeing a desperate need in our times for the word of God. We're at a culture clash, aren't we? Where the culture doesn't line up with scripture at all. And that's exciting because we can press into the word of God. So you can come to expect that and know that throughout this ministry. In children's ministry, the kids are going to study the word of God. Kindergarten through fifth grade, they actually are going through the same section of scripture that we are. You can pick up your third grader and they talked about the vision of the church this morning. Be, make, send. When we go through James in a few weeks, the first half of chapter one, they're going to go through the first half of chapter one and hear the kind of work that God does in our life through trial. And I believe the kids can learn and know the word of God. And we underestimate them a lot of times. And Deb, who directs children's ministry, she does a lot of work to write a curriculum just for our kids every week. We don't want to bore them. We want to teach it in a creative way at their level so it's not the same as the sanctuary, but we believe they can be taught the word of God. So you're going to find the word of God in children's ministry, in youth ministry, in men's ministry, in women's ministry, in small groups, because it's the foundation of our lives as a disciple. And I think it's a great model for us to be able to study God's word on our own. If you've come here for a while and went through Joshua, go through James, go through the Gospel of John, is study a book of the Bible on your own. You don't wanna play Russian roulette with the scriptures. Having a bad day, feeling kinda depressed, flip open the Bible, put your finger down, Judas went out and hung himself. (laughs) Is that an answer to your particular situation? No, that is absolutely not the answer to your situation. So you wanna read a book of the Bible in the way that it's written. You want to start with chapter one and then read chapter two and ask the Spirit of God to to speak to you. Now, if you've never done this before, please don't start in Leviticus. You'll never make it out, right? (laughs) So start in the Gospel of Mark. It's a great place to start and make it part of your life. And after you finish one book of the Bible, go to the next book of the Bible and allow the Lord to speak to you. But we want to be steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine. The next thing is fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia in the Greek. It means to share things in common, to share Christ in common, to meet each other's needs, to be in relationship with one another. It is absolutely impossible to live the Christian life without relationship. 
What Jesus is asking us to do is always involving people. He's asking us to love others. Well, I'm great at love. I just never spend time with anybody. (laughs) And so for us, it's saying this is a pillar that I want to be in my life is to be in relationship with believers. So what are some ways to connect in relationship inside of our church? There is men's ministry and women's ministry that meets on Tuesdays. It's just the start of a new semester. You can still get in. There's open studies. There's children's ministry that takes place. But they meet in small groups. The women's ministry and the men's ministry break down into smaller discussion groups. It's amazing the fellowship that is taking place. There's small groups that meet inside of homes. Very simple format. Talk about the weekend message. And so the message may be, Joshua, the story of Achan, and you're like, oh man, I've got questions about this, or this is where I was really convicted about it, and you talk about it in your small group and share what's going on in your life. We're always in need of more host homes and small group leaders that say, yeah, I'd like to invite people into my, my home. There's an awesome singles ministry on Monday nights if, if you're single. We know that many are, are single, and we want to welcome you into a place of fellowship. The college and career from 18 to 30 that meets on Thursday nights. To serve is an incredible way to have fellowship. The best relationships that I have in my life have come through serving. You know, as you serve as an usher, you get to know other ushers. As you serve in children's ministry, you get to know other people serving in children's ministry. And all of a sudden, a big church starts to be made small. But this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable because I want to deal with the heart of the issue with fellowship. As we look at the book of Acts, there was no leadership or organization from the church to say, here's fellowship, go get it. It was all organic in that people fell in love with Christ so much that they just wanted to be with other believers. It wasn't like, I don't know if I have time in my schedule. I, Peter, I, Peter's not really offering me the right thing here. There's really not the right demographic, all of those, those kind of things. It was just like, wow, Jesus is awesome. He died for my sins. He rose again. He gave us a mission to do. I want to be with believers. So they met believers and gatherings like this, and they said, hey, what are you doing afterwards? Let's go get lunch. Hey, let's, let's go up into the cafe and grab some coffee. Here's something that's pretty crazy and radical. Don't tell everybody, but you can actually fellowship with believers from other churches too. So if you've got believers that live on your street in your apartment complex, like, hey, let's get together and let's talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives. Let's pray together. At your workplace, maybe there's one other believer. You'll make cookies, great. That'll bring them in. That's awesome. Make some cookies, invite them over and go out to lunch with some other believers at your workplace. But it's when my life's been impacted by Christ where I say, I can't live without fellowship, so I'm gonna reach out. And the person that has friends is friendly and says, I'm gonna allow fellowship to take place. Village Inn right here, great place to go over and have fellowship. On Wednesday nights after the Through the Bible study, I'll give you a secret. They give away free pie if you buy a cup of coffee. So you can say, hey, let's go get some free pie and talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives. Fellowship's hugely important. Breaking of bread, the third thing. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus says, this is very important. Do this often in remembrance of me. We're a forgetful people. I'm extremely forgetful. I remember in high school, went to a Christian school. This guy came named Bob Kilpatrick and he did some music and he shared and God's really used him. And at the end of chapel, he was walking down the stairs and I was walking up the stairs. I was really excited to meet him. I said, hi, my name's Bob. I forgot my own name, right? Forgetful. And in church, as God's people, the church isn't the building, it's the gathering called out of the world together, we can lose the main thing. And um, what's the point of all of this? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the fact that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. And so as we take communion, it reminds us of that. Also in 1 Corinthians 11, it goes on to say we should examine ourselves as we take communion, meaning we should look in our hearts where we're in sin and agree with God and confess with God where we're in sin. I don't do that enough. When we take communion, it brings a healthy level of confession into our lives. Also, Jesus said here, do this till I come. There's a future aspect with communion that every time we take communion, we're being reminded that Jesus is gonna come back. And someday we're gonna be at the marriage feast of the Lamb. My three-year-old, Eileen, she just loves to sing and she specifically loves to worship the Lord. So every night when she goes to bed, she says, Dad, let's sing. She always wants to sing two songs. They're the same two songs every night. The first is the B-I-B-L-E, probably know it. And the second is this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan it out, I'm gonna let it shine. And she's added this little extra verse at the end. I'm gonna let it shine, I'm gonna let it shine, I'm gonna let it shine till Jesus comes. And then most times she asks, Dad, when's Jesus coming? And you can picture it in her mind. It's the same of like, when are grandma and grandpa coming? I know they're coming. So when are grandma and grandpa coming? And she heard here in Sunday school at church that Jesus was gonna return. And she's always held on to that. And she wants to know, hey, when's he coming? And you love that and that belief in that heart of a child. And when we take communion, it reminds us Jesus is coming back. So every Wednesday night, we have a time of communion. 15, 20 minutes after the service, extended time of worship where we come and take communion together. Also, one weekend a month, we set aside to take communion together. But I also have got to let something out. There's no place in scripture that says that pastors got to give communion. There's kind of this church tradition that's developed that says, I can only take communion in church. And that's never any place in scripture. You can grab some bread, grab some juice, get alone with the Lord, read 1 Corinthians 11, take communion. A great thing to do with family, friends, say, hey, let's just gather around and remember what Christ has done for us. Communion being something that is steadfast in our lives. And the last thing that we see here is prayers. We want to be a praying, praying church. And I got to tell you, we don't have these things mastered. We never will. We're always growing in apostles' doctrine, in communion, in fellowship, but also prayer. But I also want to tell you that we're a praying church, that we're committed to prayer. We don't start a day here at the office without prayer. 
We want to lift up every day before the Lord. We can do nothing apart from him, so we pray together as a staff. Every service, we're praying together before the service begins, right back here. Worship team, myself, we'll just quickly go back here and we go before the Lord and ask the Lord to move. We'll have weeks of prayer and fasting as the Lord leads. There's a prayer room that's open every time the church is open where you can come and pray and seek the Lord. If you have a heart to dedicate a service to going up and praying for what's taking place during the service, you can go up into the prayer room and seek the Lord. I want to thank you so much if you pray for RMC on a daily basis. If that's been placed on your heart by God, We're so grateful for that and we're praying for you. And maybe it's something that you've never considered and thought about is to say, you know what? I'm gonna add RMC to my prayer list. I'm gonna pray that we would grow in the knowledge of God. I'd pray that we'd be disciples and make disciples and send disciples. So Acts 2.42 is a practical way of following the Lord. Let's look at make disciples. Turn over with me to Matthew 28 and look at verse 18 through 20. So the gospel of Matthew Chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When Jesus says this, he's just risen from the dead. Is there any question about his authority? He's conquered sin and the grave. And he says, guys, all authority has been given to me. Imagine the president of the United States comes to your house and says, you know what, all the authority that's been given to me, all the resources that's given to me, I've got a job for you to do. We're gonna make sure that you have everything that you need. You'd probably feel pretty confident. Some of you may not feel so confident, but that's another discussion. (laughs) The king of kings, the creator of the universe Him that's risen from the dead says, I've got a job for you to do, and I have all authority. I'm sending you out in my authority. In verse 19, going down through verse 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Several components here. First, we're to go. We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to baptize them, that public declaration that their life belongs to Christ. Also for them to observe all things, that they see the importance of obedience to Christ. And this great promise as we go out to make disciples that Jesus is with us. He's with us in that task of telling other people about Jesus. What if the disciples would have just sat on the good news? We wouldn't be here today. There wouldn't be the church, but they went out with this commission to go and to make disciples. And please hear this. Everything that God shows us about himself is intended to be shared. It's intended to be given away. Yes, the knowledge of God, it improves my marriage incredibly. It blesses my relationship with my kids immensely. But it's not just for me to have a better life. I hope we're not just coming to church just to try to have better lives and to make my life better without sharing it with someone else. See, God wants us to take it and then share it, to take it and give it. And so we're committed to going as a church together as a whole and also individually. Project Nehemiah is all about going to our neighborhood. 
We don't want our community just to think about a church building. We want them to think about the message of Jesus Christ. So we go love them, serve them, tell them about Jesus in actions and words. It's a very fun way for us to be able to, to serve together. I hope you enjoyed it this summer. You know what? Harvest gathering is all about going. As we looked at October 31st and inviting people that don't know Christ to come with us. And as we're here having a good time and celebrating to share with them Jesus Christ and who he is. The radio ministry is because we wanna go. This service right now is being broadcasted live throughout our city. So when you laugh, you're on the air, okay? Why do we do that? Because we want God's word to go out. We regularly get letters here. I've got one sitting up in my office right now from men and women sitting in prison that listen to the Christian station about what God's doing in their life through simply getting God's word out. A young man came into the, the church this year and said at 2.30 in the morning, our radio show's on at 2.30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday, and then it also goes on at 2.30 in the morning, that he's in his prison cell not being able to sleep, has got the radio on, and here's the gospel presented here, right here in this sanctuary, Rocky Mountain Calvary, but now it's going out beyond this place. And he got on his knees in his prison cell, received Christ as his savior. We see the internet the same way. We want it to, to go out. But you know what? The greatest thing is not the radio ministry, is not Project Nehemiah, is not revolution. The greatest thing is when we go in our own lives. And we say, you know what, this is given to me. This is given to me personally. And when was the last time I talked with someone who didn't know Christ about Jesus? When I go across the street and really love and care for my neighbor, if I go to the same Starbucks a couple times a month, that I get to know the people that work there and really ask them how they're doing and look for opportunities to, to share Christ with coworkers and those type of things. I'm a little bit biased, but I think I've got one of the best moms that's ever been on the planet, and she just loves Jesus like crazy. And throughout my life, I saw her make disciples, and you wouldn't think that she had this bold personality of evangelism. But when the Holy Spirit would lead her, as she's just doing her life as a stay-at-home mom, you'd think, man, how many opportunities does a stay-at-home mom have for Christ? A whole bunch. She'd be at the grocery store, and she just start asking people about how their day is going. And a lot of times, it's not going very well. Have you noticed? Most people are not having a good day. So you just start, hey, how are you really doing? And you start really caring for them. They start opening up and they say, this isn't going very good and this isn't going very good. My mom would really listen. And then she'd say, well, you know what? In my life has made the difference is Jesus. She would explain her life before Christ and receiving Christ and God would begin to do a work and I've seen her lead several people to the Lord. Those people get baptized, get plugged in to churches simply because she shared what Christ is doing in her life. And a lot of times we think, I don't have anything to share. Yes, you do. One of the greatest testimonies in the Bible was a blind man. He says, this is all I know. I was blind, but now I see. Can't refute that. Share the difference that Christ has made and is doing in your life and say, I'm committed to this. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make disciples and encourage them and watch God use your life. We're committed to this as a church with the nations. We have a heart for the nations in our church. 
I believe that God can use this little fellowship here on the corner of Austin Bluffs and Academy, this group of believers, to impact the nations. And we've seen people inside of our church sitting in these same blue chairs go out into the world to share the love of Jesus Christ. Our former missions pastor, Sean, is now down in Chihuahua in his pastor church, Calvary Chapel, Chihuahua, and he went with a team of people from here, and we've seen God do that work. We've tried to target in missions with three focus countries, Mexico, Uganda, and Morocco, and now Uganda is the last country that we have in our mission where we're sending missionaries. And the first one goes out in October, he's going to live in Uganda. There's missionaries in Morocco from our church and we're seeing God do work in those countries and outside of our focus countries as well. We have people in the Czech Republic, people in Peru, people in Costa Rica, all people from here. That's our heart in missions. When we give in missions, we give to those that have been called and sent out through our church, but we desire for God to impact and love the nations of the world. Can you imagine when we get to heaven, and we're like worshiping the Lord together, that there's every people group. We want every people group to be around the throne room of God, and we believe what Christ said here, that he's called us and sent us to the nations. The last thing we're gonna look at is send disciples in Acts 1, verse 8. You can turn there if you'd like or listen to this verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus says to the disciples, God's spirit's gonna come upon you. You will be a witness. Your lifestyle's gonna be a testimony of the gospel. Not just that you're gonna go witnessing, which is always a good thing, but you're gonna be a witness. You're gonna testify of Christ in word and in deed. There's gonna be a work that starts in Jerusalem and it spreads. And as you look at it geographically, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's our heart in sending disciples as we pray for God to do a work right here in our fellowship of our body of believers that then would spread and impact our city, that would spread and impact our state, would extend and impact our, our country, would then extend and impact the world. And so how does this look really on a daily basis inside the life of our church? is if another brother or sister in Christ comes up to you and they say, hey, God's really been stirring my heart and I think he's calling me to work with the teens inside of this church. But I'm feeling like I might not be too relatable. One response would be like, man, yeah, I don't know. I don't really see you being very relatable either and can't, can't really imagine you going into the high school room and I don't think that's a good idea. Or we could go, you know what? It sounds like God's doing something in your life. I'm gonna pray with you. And you know what those kids really don't need is someone who's relatable, but someone who loves them. And that's what they're really looking for. So why don't you get a volunteer application from the information center and let's see what God's gonna do. Or somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? I think God's stirring my family and I to move to Uganda. Man, kids going to Uganda? Do you know the kind of diseases that are in Uganda? man, there's a lot of violence over there. I, I don't know if you should do that. Retirement's really bad as a missionary. And you've got a pretty good job right now. I don't know if that's a good thing. Or the other response would be, man, that's huge. 
sounds like the Holy Spirit's doing something. I'm going to pray with you, and we're going to pray for God's will. We're going to believe that God can do the impossible. It's not about the size of the calling. God doesn't give sizes of callings. He doesn't say Uganda is greater than the high school room. He just says, be obedient to me. Be committed to making disciples. And so when the Holy Spirit starts to stir people, we want to encourage them, and we want to send them out. Now, I've seen some churches kind of march with this ahead of the Holy Spirit. So we're not coming alongside people and going, hey, you've been here five years. It's time for you to go start a church. We send out disciples. We want to look for what the Holy Spirit's doing and just encourage people to follow the Holy Spirit in that. This is also kind of difficult, to be honest, as a home church, because you end up sending your best, and you end up missing some of your best friends. You know, Sean down in Calvary Chapel, Chihuahua there, he's one of my best friends. And as we sent him out there, there's a relational gap, because I'm like, wow, my best friend's down there. But there's much more joy in the Lord of knowing he's exactly where God has called him to be. For those of you that have been here for a while, you know James Borja, Pastor James. He oversaw our youth ministry for years and did a great, great job. And Calvary Worship Center, which is a church we're connected to, another Calvary chapel on the west side of town, they needed an assistant pastor, an executive pastor. And we all felt the Holy Spirit was doing it. God had prepared James for that responsibility. And we were able to send him out and ordain him as a pastor, but we miss him. It's like your kids and you grow up and you have good relationship with them and they move out of the house. You're excited for them because they're stepping into what God has, but you also miss them and we're committed to sending our best. And so sometimes that's gonna mean that we're gonna miss people. We're gonna miss them when they leave. There's some people that leave and we don't miss them when they leave, but that's another. We wanna be a blessing. God's blessed us. I think when we look at our church, there's no doubt that God has blessed us. So we want to be a blessing in the kingdom of God. Whether that's people going on to other churches and going as as laborers or taking jobs in ministries or planting churches, I know one thing for sure. If we stop giving and sharing, we're going to cut off the blessing of God that he's so graciously given to us. And our nature is easy like finding Nemo, right? Remember the birds are like, mine, 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 mine. And we can do that easily as a church. And so we're committed to be ascending church. We've been blessed and we want to be a blessing. And in the hindsight, as we get close to stepping into eternity, to be able to look as a church family and go, Lord, you're so gracious to allow us to be part of something in the Czech Republic, in Uganda, We've seen churches planted in Greeley and Windsor, Colorado and Castle Rock and in Pueblo and in Michigan and in Mexico. And Lord, oh, it was hard to see our good friends go. But what an amazing thing that you're doing. Maybe God is calling you out. You know, maybe he's been stirring you. You've been coming here for, for some time and the Lord's putting Fort Collins on your heart and you're supposed to move. He's putting Pueblo on your heart and you're supposed to move. He's putting Uganda on your heart and you're supposed to move. Maybe there's another church in town that you know has needs and they need laborers and you've been equipped and you've been trained and you've studied the word of God and God wants you to go over there. We don't want you to go. We're gonna miss you, but we want God's will in your life. We want you to follow the Holy Spirit. And as we close this morning and we just end, there's a couple of things that are on my heart. And the first is, is this. 
is this church really is my family. And kind of my story with this church is I came on staff as a junior high youth pastor here when I was 21 years old. And everything that I owned fit in my Honda Accord. And I came out here from the Northwest to, to Colorado. And I quite honestly thought I would be here for three or four years and move on, move on to somewhere else and not a lot of water here and the colorful state without the color of green if you're from the Northwest and all, all those kind of attitudes I brought with me as a, as a young man. And an amazing thing started to happen over a period of years. As I was 21 years old, as after about a year of being in this fellowship, through relationships in this church, I met my wife. People here said, hey, you gotta meet Amber. I think you guys would be great for each other. We met and, and married. I met my wife through relationships in this church. You talk about how important fellowship is with believers. It could lead you to your spouse. Some of the believers that you hang out with could end up being your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law. Stranger things have happened. You know, you've got this relationship with this family. You actually might be getting to know your future son-in-law. That's kind of scary, isn't it? All four of my kids have been born here as we've lived in Colorado Springs over these years. And I've seen God do a work in my heart where this has been a place to spend a three, three or four years to where this is our home. And when we come back to Colorado Springs, if we're gone on a vacation, it feels so good to come back here because this is home. And I actually have come to really love the climate and love the mountains. And when it rained for like a week, I was like, where's the sun? I, can't, I need the sun. And we're here. Every once in a while, people will ask me, Eric, you've been here for a while. Do you feel like God's calling you and leading you somewhere else? And if he did, I would hope I would be obedient to go. But I can honestly say that God's really calling my family and I here. We're committed to this vision. We're committing to the future and what the Lord has for us. And we're excited. I feel like for us as a church family that we're not here just wasting time. It's for such a time as this. In the book of Esther, she had a job to do and God would bring deliverance by someone else if she didn't do it. But the challenge was, would she step into what God has? And that's the challenge for us together. It's all of us coming together in unity and saying, I'm committed to being a disciple, making a disciple, and sending a disciple. And you live on the street where you're supposed to live. You're in the job that you're supposed to be, not to just provide for your needs, but to tell other people about Jesus Christ. You have the family that God wants you to have because God wants you to lead those kids to Jesus Christ, lead those grandkids to Jesus Christ. It's for such a time as this, and there's a real urgency for us. It's not a time to be awake or asleep spiritually. We wanna be awake. And then the last thing, is as you go to the table, there's a few things out there that we're just giving away. We're asking one per family. And you may love the logo, you may hate the logo. That's okay. It's not about the logo. It's not about the name of the church. It's not about the sign. It's not about any of those things. I'm asking that you would pick up a pen, pick up a sticker, and when you see that, that you would pray for the church. That it would just be a visual reminder to say, I'm going to pray for RMC, that RMC would be disciples, make disciples, and send disciples. So let's stand and pray together.